Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to worship with you. Proud of those of you who are here, even losing an hour of sleep. Come on. If you're awake, give me a little wave out there. All right. All right. You can wave online, too. I just won't see you, but you can wave anyway. We're in a series called Rituals, and this is how we're defining what the term ritual is. It's this, it's a series of actions or type of behavior regularly and invariably followed by someone. It's a series of actions or types of behavior that we take place in on a regular basis. And we're talking about how these actions actually form the decisions we make in life, the habits we create, and the lives that we actually live. Now, Megan and I, we have several rituals. We have daily rituals, we have weekly rituals, monthly, yearly rituals, but one of our favorite yearly rituals is what we call the Day of Days. And this takes place during Labor Day weekend every single year. And what we're doing is we are commemorating an amazing summer. So we, we love to go to the farmer's markets and get fresh produce each week. And as the summer's coming to an end, this kind of thing, this ritual's kind of coming to an end as well. And then the following Sunday after Labor Day is the start of the NFL season. So we're kind of saying goodbye to one season and welcoming in another. And we have this ritual called the Day of Days. And we get up early in the morning and we go and we have breakfast. And this is a day I kind of throw caution to the wind with my health. I try to eat healthy like 60, 70% of the time, but not on the day of days. The day of days, there are no rules when it comes to what you can eat or not eat. So we have breakfast and I get my favorite breakfast item, which is thin and gooey Texas flapjack pancakes. Come on. There's two types of people in the world. There's people who like their pancakes a little more well done and fluffy. Who are those people? Okay. And then there's people who like them thin and gooey. Can I get an amen? Come on. Yeah. All right. That's how I am. That's how my mom made them for me growing up. And I just love them that way. So we go out and we get those pancakes. Megan of course, doesn't partake in that because she's way more disciplined than I am. But she will eat a baked omelet from the same restaurant. So we go and we, we have a nice breakfast. And then we go to Birmingham and we go to the Birmingham Farmer's Market and we get fresh produce and we spend some time going to Megan's favorite stores. And I'm all in during this whole experience. Even though I'm not a big shopper, we go to stores. If she's got to endure me watching the Lions every week, then I can endure a few stores on the day of days. And I'm in and we're having a good time. And then we come back home and we make dinner together. And we do a dinner that neither one of us will have any time during the year other than on this day. I will make, and do not judge me for this, but I will make 
a fried bologna sandwich. Come on, one of my favorite items. Fresh Italian bread, Cubanel peppers, fresh from the farmer's market, and then I get some bologna and make a fried bologna sandwich, and then Megan will make a fresh piece of fish that she normally won't have, and we just enjoy the evening together. So that's our yearly ritual that begins on Labor Day, and our lives are made up of rituals. Daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly rituals. And we develop these things all the time, and it kind of determines what kind of lives we are going to lead. And sometimes we compare ourselves to other people, and we say, wow, that person, man, they just have the best job. Or that person got so lucky with their kids. They got so lucky in their marriage. They got so lucky with the amount of money they make. And we we look at other people and we just say, man, they just got lucky. But I guarantee that some of the most successful people we look at and think are lucky, they have daily rituals and practices that they do consistently. Pastor Craig Rochelle puts it this way. He says this. He says, successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And this is the truth. When you look at someone's life, if they have something that you want or that you think is great, it's probably made up of the habits and the rituals that they've developed on a daily basis. I was talking to a friend of mine who happens to be a fitness coach, and he is in incredible shape. I mean, he's in fantastic shape. He's in his 30s. And he's just chiseled. There's not an ounce of body fat on him. And I asked him, I said, you know, what's, what's your secret? What do you do? He's like, oh, I'm in the gym six days a week. I literally work out an hour or more six days a week. And every single day, I count my calories, how much protein, how much fat, and how many carbs I have every single day. And I keep the right amounts. And I'm like, wow, that's what it takes, huh? I think I'm okay doing what I do, but he does daily what I do occasionally. (laughs) He does daily what I would love to do more of, but that's what happens is we develop these habits or these rituals that then shape our lives. And if we can develop some healthy, consistent rituals, our entire lives could be different. And I want to talk this morning about a character in the Bible named Daniel. I love Daniel. I love the whole book of Daniel, reading about his life. It really is an incredible story. And I want to get into his life. But before I jump in, I want to give you a little context of what's happening in the book of Daniel. So Daniel is an Israelite. He was born in Jerusalem, and he was living in the promised land. But then King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the holy city. He destroys it. He burns it. 
He goes in, he, he murders some people, he kidnaps some people, he pulls people from their homes, he takes all the valuables, and he takes them back to Babylon with him. And so the Jewish people are now enslaved in Babylon. I want to show you something on a map real quick. This is a map, and if you look, this is what happened. The, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt over there. Okay, they're enslaved there in bondage for 400 years. Then God parts the sea. They leave. Moses leads them out of Egypt into the promised land, into a desert at first. So they cross the sea. They're in a desert. Then they head up to Jerusalem where they establish their kingdom. They become a powerhouse nation. They develop economy. They start buying and selling and trading and doing business and setting up society. And they're there for about 800 to 1,000 years. When all of a sudden you see where Babylon is on the other side of this map, the king Nebuchadnezzar comes from there. He comes over to Jerusalem and he destroys the city. He kidnaps the people and brings them all the way back over to Babylon, leaving the city of Jerusalem in ruins. And what happened was when he brought everyone over, he was looking for some young men who were physically fit and smart and intelligent and able to maybe adopt some of the customs and come into the king's service. So the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, he finds, he has his people find some of the smartest um, young men there were in the time of the Israelites and part of the royal family. So he brings them in to his service. And one of these men was a man by the name of Daniel. Daniel was very smart. He was intelligent. He was in good shape. He was disciplined. And he loved the Lord. And so from that moment on, Daniel, he became part of the king's service. And one night, King Nebuchadnezzar had a really weird dream. And he couldn't interpret this dream. He didn't even know what it meant. So what he tried to do is he said to all of his wise men in the, in the nation, he said, would you come and not only interpret my dream, but tell me what my dream was so I know you know what you're talking about. Well, none of his wise counsel could do this. Now, Daniel got wind that this was going on, and he went, and he prayed, and he sought the Lord, and the Lord gave him the interpret, not, not only the interpretation of this dream or this vision, but also what the dream was. So Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, I can interpret your dream. Now he better be right because if he's wrong, he's dead in this context. So he goes to the king boldly and says, I, I know what your dream was. And he tells him what the dream was first and then he interprets it for him. Then something that never happens happens. The king falls prostrate before Daniel. Nobody does this. No king bows to anyone. And the king was so impressed, he bowed, he said, certainly your God is the one true God. And he begins to promote Daniel. And Daniel is promoted. 
and Daniel goes on to have success with this king. Then there's another king, Belshazzar, and then there's another king, Darius. So three different kings, and Daniel maintains his position of authority, of wisdom, with all three of these kings in Babylon. So I want to pick up a story in Daniel 6, so we have a little context of what's happening here. So this is under the reign of King Darius now. King Darius takes over, and he's appointing people to lead the nation, and this is what it says in verse one, or Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. One of them was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel, listen to this, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel set himself apart more than anyone else. Now think about this. This is an exile foreigner from a different land being put in charge of the most, the biggest powerhouse nation that existed on the planet at the time. He so distinguished himself amongst people. He was set apart. He was smart. He outperformed everyone else. He was favored. He was blessed. How did Daniel get this way? Why did Daniel have so much favor in his life? Well, I think it's answered in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. We receive the answer to this. The Bible says this, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Daniel had a daily ritual that included getting on his face three times a day before God and praying. And not just praying for his needs, but giving thanks, it says, to his God. Gratefulness. He had this habit of being grateful for what he had in his life. Now think about this. Daniel could have been bitter. He could have been upset. We don't know much about Daniel's family other than he was from, he was part of royalty in Jerusalem. So he was probably working up his, up the political ladder in Jerusalem and thinking, man, I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to help my people grow. I'm going to be part of building our nation. And then he's ripped away from his nation. Now, we don't hear much about his family. His, his parents could have been murdered, separated. It's likely he hasn't seen them in a long time, siblings, anybody. And he's in a foreign land, 
being forced to do things he doesn't want to do, trying his hardest in a culture that is ungodly to remain godly. If you read the book of Daniel, there's many times where the culture went against what he believed and he's trying to maintain his faith in God in the middle of this culture that could care less about his God. And yet he's still seeking God every single day. Instead of getting bitter, instead of getting angry, he's like, God, you got me here and I need you. I need you to get me through this. I can't do this alone. And I believe that ritual of prayer and seeking God and his devotion to God is what set him apart from the masses. And then you look at all the godly men and women in the Bible, they all have one thing in common. They have a ritual that they do on a daily basis. If you look in the Psalms and you know David is a man after God's own heart and not a perfect man, but a man after God's own heart. In Psalm 42, 1, this is what he says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. David worshiped and prayed and sought God Every single day in his trouble, in his good times, he still sought the Lord. In Mark chapter 1, 35, we see what was part of Jesus' daily ritual. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus, the Son of God developed this ritual of getting up, starting his day with prayer, with seeking God so that he would have wisdom and know what to do for the day. There's a story in Acts chapter 10, and someday I'm going to do a whole series on this story, but I love this story because in Acts chapter 10, there's a story about a man who's a Gentile, not a Jewish man. And at the time, Uh, Gentiles had not received salvation yet. It was only for Jewish people. But it says this about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Here's a man who's like, God, I don't even know who you are and what salvation's all about. I just know you're out there and I want to know you. And he kept doing this and he kept praying and he was devoted to a God he didn't really even know much about. And at the same time, he was praying, there's a disciple named Peter who everybody knows. And Peter, the Bible says, went on the roof to pray. It's what it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. It says, about noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went on the roof to pray. So here's another 
example of a ritual of prayer. I need you, God. I can't do this. I need your wisdom. I need to know your thoughts. I need to know your heart. Peter goes on the rooftop to pray and he gets a vision. And what's happening with Cornelius and Peter, God begins to speak to both of them and show them a vision. He connects them in prayer. The next thing you know, Peter goes over and visits Cornelius and the entire house of Cornelius is saved in a day. And that's where salvation is offered to the Gentiles for the very first time. And I always think to myself, what if these two men weren't men of prayer? What if they didn't seek the Lord? What if they thought they could rely on their own talent or their own abilities and just kind of live decent moral lives? But they didn't seek God. Well, they wouldn't know him. They wouldn't hear from him. They wouldn't be led by his spirit. And things would be different. Developing a ritual of knowing our God is what sets our religion apart from any other religion. We have the ability to go boldly before the throne of God and seek his face. I want to talk to the men for just a minute here. I want to, I want to tell you a couple things. Statistically now, 60% of all churchgoers are women and only 40% are men. And I am so ecstatic about our amazing women of God that we have at our church. We have some amazing women who are involved and teach and do some amazing things. Just like Phil said, the worship this morning was amazing. And I'm so grateful and thank you. Thankful for that. But I also want to appeal to our men. 40% only of church-going people are men. So I want to applaud our men for being here this morning watching online. But a lot of times we leave the spiritual walk up to our wives. And we say, hey, you can do that. I, I, I got to provide. I got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of things I've got to do. And we kind of leave spiritual matters up to our wives. And I want to tell you, that's not how God designed us. God designed us to seek his face and be spiritual leaders. For us to know his voice. For us men to be led by his spirit just as much as the women. He wants us to know him. And it's a season of life and culture where men need to be seeking God like never before. We need God's grace. We need God's wisdom. We need God's spirit. We need God's discerning like never before. And I want to encourage our men to take that mantle up. To develop a ritual of seeking God's face and leading your family spiritually. We lead in a lot of ways, but leading spiritually just brings so much peace into our homes. When our wives or your kids or, or, or anyone's having some kind of problem, 
If dad can step in and say, listen, God's got this, guys. Let's pray together as a family. I don't know what we're going to do, but let's pray. Let's seek God. Let's bring God into this situation. That ritual will change a family dynamic. And I'm so grateful for women who lead. Man, they're so called and doing so many great things for the kingdom of God. I just want to appeal to our men. Let's not just hand that title over. Let's fight. Let's battle. Let's war in the spirit realm as well as our wives and the women in our life do too. Let's take on that that responsibility because nothing replaces intimacy with God. If you read throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, before they were about to go into battle, what did they do? They sought the Lord. Before they were about to do anything in life, make any major decision, they sought the Lord. Men and women sought the Lord. Because there's something in that that brings supernatural realm to the natural so that we don't just operate in our flesh, but we operate in the spirit. And that's what God is calling us to do. In this season of turmoil and chaos in our country and in the world, we need people who are intimate with the Father to lead us. That's what we need. We need to know discernment. We need to know what's right, what's wrong. How to, in a wise way, confront the culture, but also love people who don't know Christ. We need this discernment. We need this wisdom, and it only comes from the heart of a loving father. Jesus had this gift. He got up early in the morning to pray, and he had this way of speaking truth, but walking in love that has been unmatched by anyone who's ever walked the face of the earth. And he said, you can do that as well. And he wants us to have that kind of wisdom, that kind of discernment, that kind of love and truth in our hearts. But it's only found when we're intimate with the Father When I was in Bible college, we had this class called Life of Prayer. And I was a freshman, I think it was 18 years old, and I had to take this class. It was one of the prerequisites. And everyone said, it's like a blow-off class, because you kind of get there, and basically, you just pray for the hour. It's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and the professor would get up, and he would share a story of his own prayer time, or what God did you know, through prayer, some, some stories, some revelations he had, some miracles he experienced through prayer. And then he would just say, okay, I'm going to put some worship on and I want you guys just to see God. And if you, you know, want to pray with each other, you can. If you want to, if you feel like God's showing you something, you want to come share with the class, you can do this. So he's trying to develop a consistent prayer life in the heart of 18, 19, 20-year-olds who felt called to ministry. And he knew something. He knew how easy it is for ministers to rely on their own talent or ability instead of seeking the face of God regularly. 
So before they taught us how to preach, before they taught us the, the crucial issues, how to really study and interpret the Bible and all these things, they wanted to teach us to rely on God. And I thought that was interesting. And up until that point in my life, I had a very inconsistent walk with the Lord as far as prayer goes. There'd be seasons where I sought his face and prayed and worship, and seasons I'd go weeks or months without picking up the Bible or, or praying or seeking God's face. It was like this roller coaster. But it was in that season, that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, where I started to understand the importance of a ritual of daily devotion to God. And honestly, nothing spectacular happened in that class. I didn't witness any miracles. No one had any crazy, heard the audible voice of God or any crazy stories like that. It was really God showing us, this is what you need. If you're going to walk with me, if you're going to lead people, if you're going to find success in this world, it, this is where it starts. In this room, where no one cares who you are, no one knows you, no one's seeing what you're doing. It's just you and God. That's what God's calling his church to return to. This life of prayer and devotion and seeking him like we never have before. That's what he's calling his church to in this season. Three things happen when we seek God with our lives, when we have a ritual of seeking God. I want to give them to you real quick. Three things. Number one, God reveals things to you. I love this about Daniel. He, God revealed the mystery of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel in prayer. God wants to reveal mysteries to us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to give us things that you can't know or get anywhere else. He is also glorified when we pray and we receive the favor and blessing that comes by having godly wisdom. This is the story of Daniel. These things happened to Daniel. Daniel heard God's voice. Daniel, or God spoke through Daniel Daniel was set apart and he kept giving glory to God. God was glorified throughout the life of Daniel. And Daniel was blessed. Because of this, he was blessed, he was favored, he was promoted. And this can happen when we seek God. And I want to end this message with just sharing a final story of Daniel's life. He's now leading under King Darius. And like I read earlier, he's in charge of almost the whole kingdom. And these other politicians and these other people, they didn't like him very much. They didn't like him because he was a foreigner in the land. He didn't follow their customs. He didn't agree with the way they did things. And he, he, didn't, he didn't follow what they did, what the culture said to do. And now he's leading over all the people. So they were upset about this. So the first thing they tried to do is they tried to find dirt on him. 
It's what every politician tries to do, right? Find a little dirt on someone. They tried to find dirt on him. They couldn't. Because he was such a godly man, they couldn't find him. So there was only one way they could get to Daniel. And they knew that he, there was nothing he would do to dishonor his God. That that was the only way they were going to get to him is if they attacked his God or his religion or his spiritual life. And so these men go to the king and they, they start telling King Darius, you're such a great king. You know, we want to honor you. Why don't you make an edict for one month? One month that no one can pray to any God or any other human except for you, King Darius. Just one month to just honor you and, and set you up as the king. King Darius liked this. So without thinking, he made an edict. And he made this law that for one month, no one could pray to anyone else other than him. You know what Daniel does when he hears this law? He goes home. He goes to the same spot he does. He opens his windows wide, faces Jerusalem, gets on his knees, and he prays for all to see. Because nothing was going to stop him from seeking his God. Now, I thought, you know, why? Maybe you could close the blinds. It's probably what I would do. Like, hey, I'm going to still seek God in this time, but I'm going to close the blinds. Be a little cautious here. No, he opens them up. You want to know why he could have that boldness without fear? Because God spoke to him so much in his time. He trusted God because he had built a life of prayer and devotion to him. He knew the heart of God. And he knew if God wanted him around, he was going to stay around. And if God didn't want him around, he wasn't going to be around. But he put his life completely in God's hands. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which happens earlier in Daniel, when they don't bow to the king at the time, and they've been put in a fiery furnace, and they make it out alive. Daniel's saying, listen, God did it for them. He'll do it for me. Or else, it's my time. That's what's going to happen here. He did this. So, of course... These guys who didn't like Daniel very much, they were waiting for him to pray. And as soon as he prayed, they went and reported it to the king that Daniel was dishonoring the king and praying to another god and ignoring the king's rule and edict and was to be put to death right away. And this troubled the king because the king loved Daniel. He loved Daniel. And he didn't want to do it. It says he spent the day trying to find a loophole around throwing Daniel in a, in a lion's den. But he couldn't because once a king makes an order or decree, he has to stick with it. So he says, Daniel, I'm sorry, I have to do this, but I hope your God will save you. Throws him into the lion's den. The Bible says the king's up all night. He's worried sick. He doesn't eat, can't sleep. He runs first thing in the morning and he cries out to Daniel and says, Daniel, did your God save you? And Daniel says, may the king live forever. I love that. He still honored this king. Hallelujah. He still honored the man who threw him in a lion's den. 
He says, may the king live forever. I'm going to bless you before I tell you that God sent an angel to shut the mouth of lions. And I'm fine. This is what King Darius says in Daniel 6, 25 through 28. He says, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Sirius, the, per, the Parisian. God got credit for Daniel's devotion. This is interesting to me because Daniel didn't pick it. He didn't start a fight. He didn't say, hey, you pulled me from my nation. I'm going to seek my God, whether you like it or not. He didn't create an us versus them mentality. He didn't say, you have to follow what I do. He says, listen, I'm going to seek God. And I'm going to follow his laws and his ways. If you want to kill me for it, kill me, but I'm just going to continue to do it. He didn't fight. He didn't have anger in his heart about it. He didn't post on social media how evil they were for doing this to him. He just said, I'm just going to see God. And what's amazing is instead of the king getting mad at Daniel or Daniel's God because Daniel was trying to create division, the king actually saw the hand of God, praised God, and the entire nation was aware of the one true God. Sometimes it bothers me, if I'm honest, that we've kind of given people a bad picture of God. And now they ridicule our God and say bad things about him and Christianity, and it's usually because we haven't represented him that great. What if, instead of dividing, instead of creating us versus them mentalities, what if we just said, God, you know, what's happening in Ukraine is crazy. And I'm not going to point fingers. I'm just going to get on my face and seek you and ask you what to do. What's going on in our nation? The polarization, it's crazy. And I, I don't, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of fighting. I just want to, Lord, I, I just need you. I just need you to, to tell me what to do. I just need your guidance. In, instead of running to YouTube or other media outlets to give us advice and information on what we should be doing. What if we just went like, 
God, I don't, I don't know what to do. It's crazy out there. But I do know your word is true. And I'm just going to seek your face and ask you to give me some discernment. That's all I know. That's all I have. Because God wants to download some things to his people in this season. And when he gives us that wisdom, and we can share that with other people, they might actually look and say, wow, I want to be like you. I want to be a person who knows God like you do. You're not angry all the time. You're loving. You're different. What's different about you? Something's different about you. I don't know what's different about me. All I know is I love the Lord and I seek his face and I read his word. And you can have that too. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not, tell you, I'm not here to tell you what to believe. I'm just here to tell you what I do. I seek God's face. I live a devoted life to him. I honor him with my life. And I do it because he tells me that's the best way to live. And I'm going to keep doing it despite what anyone else says. I'm going to keep doing it. But that's just me. And if you want what I have, I can, I can lead you there. I can lead you to that point. And it's an amazing thing. What if we, what if we had this, this mindset and this intimacy with God like that? I believe more people would come to the Lord. I believe maybe, just maybe people in authority might say, wow, look at what your God did. We need to get back to that. I just feel strongly in my heart that it's a season that the Lord was speaking to me, me personally. And so you get to receive what I feel like the Lord was sharing with me personally. But Chris, it's time to seek me again like never before. It's time to have a ritual, a daily ritual of knowing Jesus. That's all that matters. Jesus. Keeping our eyes fixed on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus. I don't know what much else, but I know, Jesus, you're real and I need you. That's all I know. I don't know much more than that at this stage of my life. And I know there's a lot of you that are going through some painful things. I am too. I got a great friend of mine right now in ICU. I've been praying for him all weekend. He needs a miracle. I know some of you are going through some tough things in life and the pain is so real I don't know much but I know Jesus and I know we need him and I know we need to keep our eyes fixed on him and he's the only thing that's going to get us through this guys not much else 
I love healthy habits in our lives. I think it's great to go to the gym. I think it's great to develop some healthy things that lead to success, but there's nothing more important than seeking the face of our God than having that ritual in our lives. It set Daniel apart and it will set you apart. It will set you apart and people will see Jesus in you. And so it's not a condemnation. It's not a condemning message. It's not a, you better develop this discipline in your life if you want God to be proud of you. It's not about that. It's just about our need to know him in this season and to trust him even though it's hard because that's all we've got. That's all we got. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that it may look like we're surrounded on all sides. Like there's pain and sadness and darkness at every turn and every angle. And we're surrounded by the enemy. And life can even feel weary and hopeless at times, Lord. And it may look like we're surrounded, but we're surrounded by you. That's all we have. That's all we know. Is that we need you to fight our battles, God. I'm tired of fighting, God. I'm tired of arguing. I'm tired of opinions. I'm so tired of it, God. But I know you and I want your thoughts, and I want your heart, and I want your ways, Father, more than anything else. And I pray that would be our cry this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.